The men learned Wednesday that the church that Jesus builds is on the offensive and the gates of hell are on the defensive. So for the church, we're not to be on the defensive. We're to be moving forward progressively in the name of Jesus, recognizing that hell will try to stop us, but it can't. It cannot stop us. That, that's the church that Jesus builds. And our team is in Israel right now. I'm not sure when they return, but they will go to that place in Caesarea Philippi where Jesus made that declaration that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that he builds. And in that area of Caesarea Philippi, it was believed to be the entrance to hell, where the god of Pan roamed the area. And uh, that was the belief. And so Jesus made that statement right where hell was hottest, where the world believed that Hades had its gates, that Jesus says, my church, we're going to build it in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we ought to show up where the battle is, which means we can't be an ingrown church. We've got to be an outgrown church. We've got to serve those who need the Lord, set the captives free. Oh, man, I'm excited to be a part of the kingdom of God. How did Pastor Darrell's class go this morning? Amen? Was it all right? Amen? All right. Now, that class is so much more than you getting more information for your spiritual journey. We need information for our spiritual journey that we may walk in the victory that God has already granted us. We need to know that. But the way we have the vision for this class, it's discipleship counseling. Uh, we want to see you, after you get what you need for yourself, to turn around and help somebody else out with what you're learning about God. That is discipleship. It's life on life. So we are equipping you to do the work of the ministry. Um, our family pastor does a lot of counseling, but what he wants to do is raise up an army of folks who are equipped in the things of the Lord that you may comfort others with the comfort that you've received from the Lord yourself. So rather than people lining up in a line to come see Pastor Daryl or to come see Pastor, or Pastor me, or to see me, <laughs> we're going to empower you uh, to meet with people who are coming in who need help breaking habits and seeing their marriage come together and overcoming condemnation, guilt, and grief, that we are equipping you to do that. So as you're getting this information, we are equipping you to be able to disseminate this information to be disciples who make disciples who make a difference for the Lord. You, you get that vision? You got that? And that's how it should always be around here. It's not just about what we get from God that we come to church to get. No, we come to church to get so we can give. So we can give it away. Give it away. So thank you, Pastor Darrell. I'm excited, man. It's great pulling in, seeing a full parking lot. Kids are doing well today so far. Amen. If any of them get to shouting, like my wife said, you can either take them out or just bring them here to the altar. It does not matter. <laughs> and I was a proud pastor yesterday, family. Very proud yesterday. Um, as my wife said, Lord allowed us to just acquire this building, and we're using it to serve people. And the Cyrus family came in yesterday uh, from near and from far, from Mississippi, from Florida, uh, from Alabama, to come and say goodbye to their brother, their son, their friend, uh, Brother Frank Cyrus, as he went to be with Jesus on the 22nd of March. And so it was a wonderful time. We worked with um, a funeral home in here, New Generations Funeral Home uh, in Antioch. And that was a wonderful experience. Now, this is a multicultural church. 
okay? Diverse church. And you're coming from different backgrounds and expressions and experiences. And you must know that when you have a church like this, black people and white people do funerals differently. <laughs> can I get a witness in here? Strong Tower just happens to be blessed where we can go both ways, okay? We can go both ways. So we were working with the funeral directors and, uh, you know, Cynthia has some instructions for me that I passed on to the funeral directors, but the funeral directors weren't really having that. You know, we were just going to start with worship. You know, we were just going to start with worship. But the funeral directors, you know, uh, they were like, no, we're going to march the family in. How many from a black Baptist church? But the family comes in, you know. And so we did that, and it was wonderful. We had a great time. And uh, just remembering it, and the joke of the day goes to Deacon Jesse Butler. Uh, Jesse, he don't like to speak. He don't like to get up front. But uh, Cynthia asked him to share because her husband worked with the security team. So Jesse empowered him to serve here at the church uh, many, many years ago when they first came. And so uh, Jesse was telling a joke about when the men last year went to the Preds game. We went to the Predators hockey game. We had the big bus, and we went on to the game. And so Frank was there. He had his oxygen, and he's sitting up on the front. I'm sitting in the front. Jesse's there. Dave is there. And so we decide we want to bless the bus driver. I don't know if you guys remember this, but we said, man, well, let's take an offering for the bus driver. Let's show the love of Jesus. So, man, we collected a whole lot of cash that night for the bus driver. And so I remember seeing handfuls of cash come by to come up front to give to the bus driver. So we had someone who was new at the church. They had just started coming, and they said, man, that sure is a lot of cash. I hope it gets to the bus driver. <laughs> and so Frank said, Jesse said that Frank said, and I forgot this. Frank said, well, it's a good thing that all of us are saved up in here. Because <laughs> if we weren't, whoo. So just memories, man, celebrating this man's life. He came in this church to serve. And he even said on one of his final Sundays, he said to Jesse, he said, I wish I could stand with my brothers on the post and serve like I used to. I was like, wow. So here's a man who wants to serve but can't serve. So baby, let me come where you were. Shame on us who can serve but won't serve. Oh, my. The joy is in serving. It's a... Find a place to serve. He gave you a gift and a passion. And use it in the kingdom. Use it in the local church. And um, uh, yesterday, man, my worship pastor, the Lord used him. The Lord used my worship pastor. Boy. And uh, again, Strong Tower has a way we can minister to different cultures of people, different denominational backgrounds. And there were people from all over the place here yesterday. And he brought us to Jesus he was by himself. There was no musical accompaniment. And uh, so Cynthia and Frank had asked John to sing an old school song from Lionel Richie called Jesus is Love. I don't know if any of y'all remember that. Jesus is Love. And he, y'all, I'm glad there's paint still on the wall up in here. <laughs> so I asked him, I said, for your pastor... Can you just give us a couple of bars of that this morning? Is that all right if he just give us a little bit of that this morning? No pressure. No pressure. I said, please don't pump it up just in case. <laughs> if his voice cracked, just blame it on him, pastor. You know, don't worry about it. Go on, baby. Give us something, man.
help your children. Don't let them fall by the side of the road. Yeah. And teach them to love one another. That heaven might find a place in their hearts. Cause Jesus is alive. you down and I know he's mine oh yes he is forever yeah, yes deep in my heart we've got to walk on temptation cause his love and his wisdom oh, will be our helping hand oh and I, I know the truth and his words will be our salvation so lift up your hearts and be thankful be thankful be thankful and be glad, oh, because Jesus, because Jesus is love, oh, yes, is. he won't let you down, and I know he's mine, oh, he's mine, yes, he is. Forever deep in my heart. heart. You know, can we all do that last part? Uh, uh, the part that says, uh, Jesus is love. Uh, I forgot it. See, that's what happens when you call. <laughs> I know, I know, I will, so I love this word forever, something like that. Where's Harmony? Feeding the baby? Dang it. <laughs> oh, I got it, I got it. It's like this. Um, Jesus is love, I know, and if you ask, I'll show. Love is the word forever, <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah, Harmony's gonna shake her head at me when she finds out. Say it one more time, Jesus is love. <laughs> Say, Jesus is love, I know. And if you ask, I'll show. Love is the word forever.
And I'll, I want to thank all of the ushers who came out yesterday, and people cleaned up and served. Just thank you, Strong Tower. That's what we're to be about. Bless you. Amen. Well, turning your Bibles to the epistle of James. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, and then James. James chapter 1. And I'll begin reading at verse 9 today. Do you have it? The Bible reads from the New King James Version, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, <clears throat> its flowers falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. So today let's continue in our series on verses, and let's call this the rich versus the poor. Let's pray. Father God, open up the eyes of our heart to give us a greater understanding of what you require in your kingdom. Teach us your ways. May you transform us by the renewing of our minds so that we will not be conformed to the ways and philosophies of this world, especially when it comes to social status and economic ability or inability. Holy Spirit, give us a clean slate right now and help us to listen objectively and then give us the grace to respond in a way that pleases you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may find it hard to believe, but there was a time in the history of Christendom when wealthy Christians and poorer Christians actually lived in community together. You may find that hard to believe because our churches today are so segregated not only along denominational lines and along racial lines, but also along economic lines. But there was once a time when the church was not like that. It was a glorious expression of the diverse kingdom of God, where Jews and Gentiles came together. Men and women came together. And then Paul says in Galatians 3, where bond and free, or slave and free, came together. And he's talking about economic status. People who have and people who have not are able to come together and be one in Christ. Not the same, but one in Christ. And there was a time when poor Christians and not so, or rather poor Christians and wealthy Christians worshiped together and served God together. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 44, with the first church. The Bible says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all 
as anyone had need. That was the first church. There were people who had possessions, people who didn't have possessions. But the ones who had possessions didn't look at the possessions as their own. They recognized that they were just stewards of God's resources. And those who didn't have possessions didn't look down on themselves because they recognized that God was sovereign. Because Proverbs 22 verse 2 says, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. So we don't need to have a false sense of inferiority if we're born poor. And neither do we have to have a false sense of superiority if God sovereignly allowed us to be born into wealth. We need to thank God that he is the one that gives common ground and he disseminates portions as he sees fit. You won't hear this on many of the health, wealth, prosperity TV stations and all that, that God actually makes some people poor. But I'm here to let you know that that is not a bad thing. I'm here to let you know that God has a plan. God has a way that doesn't always make sense to us in this life. But there's more to this life than this life. We are kingdom people. And today I'm preaching a message that for some would, would seem to be abnormal. But why is it that when Christians operate normally, other Christians think we're being abnormal? Oh, so if you have an email you want to send because you get offended by something that's said today... Uh, I'm going to ask you to hold on to that email because it may not have been an offense. It may have been the conviction of the Holy Spirit coming against your Western understanding of wealth and material acquisition. So hold your email and check what the Bible says. I've got to be checked by what the Bible says. So as God checks me, I'm going to check you in love and we're going to all be checked together. Can all of God's check people say amen? Amen. So the early church, it says that they had everything in common, even though they had different economic statuses. The NIV says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. The reason why they could have everything in common was because their everything was their only thing. And their only thing thus was their everything. Jesus truly was the center of their lives and their community. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So once again, they didn't say it was theirs. It was a gift of grace from God. And because they didn't own it, when God said, give it, they gave it which is why we find in chapter 5, they began to bring their goods and lay it at the feet of the apostles to help people in the Christian community who didn't have as much as those who had. But those who had redistributed their wealth, gave it unto the Lord at the local church, and the local church distributed it, not only to meet the needs of the body, but eventually to meet the needs of the community because in Acts chapter 6, it talks about how the Hebraic Jews came and they didn't have anything to eat, and so they the church organized a food distribution plan to help those uh, Hebraic Jews out, and the Hel who were the Hellenistic uh, Jews. They were Jews who were also uh, part Hellenized. They were cultured by Greek culture. And so there was great diversity, and the church ministered because the people let loose of their possessions. And the Bible says they had everything in common, even though they didn't all have the same thing. 
And so in time, in time, rich Christians began to antagonize poor Christians. It happened. That common unity, that common bond that they had, it began to break. And rich Christians began to antagonize poor Christians. And we find this phenomenon happening throughout the New Testament where wealthy Christians didn't want to honor their pledge to help poorer Christians who were going through various famines and droughts and all kinds of persecution that left them shorthanded. And churches like Corinth made pledges that they would help financially, but they never followed through on their pledge. And they were a wealthy church, but poorer churches like the ones in Macedonia, they gave even out of their deep poverty to help their brothers and sisters around the world, the then known world, who were hurting. So we would see now as the church began to grow, it would become more and more influenced by the world and the selfishness and materialism that was in the world. And in the epistle of James, he zeroes in on this big time. Rich and poor Christians are together in the book of James. Um, because of persecution, Christians have been dispersed throughout the world. And so James is writing his epistle with a strong Jewish flair and flavor to it to minister to the dispersed Christians who were suffering. So he starts off the letter talking about, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials and testing. The church was being tested. And within that body, the body of Christ, you had rich Christians being tested and poor Christians being tested. James, who happens to be the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, meaning that he came from the same mama that Jesus did, that is Mary, but they did not have the same father because Mary was conceived with the aid, oh, excuse me, Jesus was conceived through Mary with the aid of the Holy Spirit. James and his four brothers were conceived through Mary with the aid of Joseph, their earthly father. So James was a half-brother of Jesus. And the Bible even records how James and the other brothers did not believe in Jesus during his earthly ministry. But they did not express faith in the Lord until after the resurrection. And this James would not only trust his brother as his Savior and Lord and the one who would forgive him of his sins and give him entrance into heaven in a relationship with God the Father, his maker and creator. But this James, who wrote this epistle, would go on to be the chief leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so he writes us this epistle, and just like his half-brother Jesus, he's got some pretty choice words for rich people. I mean, when you read the letter of James, he's coming pretty straightforward at wealthy folks. Now, in a moment, I'm going to define wealth and poverty, so just hold on. But he's got some pretty stern and choice words for the rich. You see, when Jesus came, a lot of his rebuke was to the religious crowd. He saved his harshest words for religious people. And when James writes his epistle, he gives great challenges to rich people. So like brother, like Messiah. I mean, they, they just are coming at it, man. But I thought it was interesting that Jesus came strong at religious people who happened to be rich, and James came strong at rich people who happened to be religious. Why is it that many of us who are religious 
are rich. And those of us who are religious or rich happen to be, y'all know what I'm trying to say anyway. Uh, <laughs> Jesus rebuked the religious and James rebuked the rich. But let's talk real quickly about how do we define rich and poor in this culture, 2014, the 21st century? Well, in a book I read called Culture Clash by Dr. Zweffel, he gave an illustration that helped me out a lot, so I'm going to try to share with you that if the world was shrunk, today's world of billions of people was shrunk to the size of 100 people who lived together in a village, what would the dynamics be? Well, in a world of 100 people, just to understand wealth and poverty, 70 would be of color and 30 of those people would be white. Six people would possess 59% of the entire world's wealth, and all six would be in the United States. 80 would live in substandard housing. 50 would live on less than $2.50 a day. 70 would be unable to read. 50 would suffer from malnutrition. One would have a college education, and one would own a computer. So if the world was shrunk to the size of 100 people living in a village, that would roughly be the breakdown. And so if you awaken this morning and you were able to, as my wife said, drive to church, you are in the upper echelon of the world. If you were able to go and pick out a different change of clothes, you didn't wear what you wore yesterday or the day before, you're in the upper echelon of people in the world. If you have multiple pairs of shoes or you forget how many pairs of shoes you have and you are in the upper echelon, you would be classified as wealthy. If you were able to take a shower with clean water, you are considered to be wealthy in the world standard. If you are able to drink clean water today, you are considered wealthy in the world. Uh, if you have ba a bathroom in your house, you are considered wealthy according to the world standard. If you have regular sanitation pickup in your neighborhood, we are considered wealthy according to the world standard. And if you can go to church and not worry about persecution, someone coming through the door, taking away the pastor, or killing the congregation because of their beliefs, again, you are part of the fortunate ones in the world. But we're going to watch this day because the kingdom of God kind of flips the script. So that's kind of a, a brief global picture. But if we were to break it down to the United States, what is the poverty level in the United States? Um, 2012 federal poverty level came out, and I won't go through all of it, but the poverty level is if you are one person and you live in the United States and D.C., not counting Alaska or Hawaii, but the connected um, uh, continent of the United States, uh, one person, if you make $11,170 or less, you are considered poor according to the United States government. So you are at the poverty line or under it. If you as one person, this, these are 2012 numbers. I'll give you 2014 in a moment. If you make 11170 or less, and you see the breakdown for Alaska and Hawaii, where it's a little more expensive to live in those states. And so, and if you are a family of four and you make under $23,000 a year, you are considered poor and on and on and on. Well, in 2014, the numbers that have been released 
are a little bit higher than 2012, and that is if you are one person and you make $11,670 or less, you are considered poor by the federal government. If you have a family of four in 2014 and you have a household income of 23850 or less, once again, you are under or at the poverty line and you are classified as poor according to statistics for this nation. Um, so let that sit in. I know some of you are thinking like, okay, where do I sit on that? Some of us see that we are far above that poverty line. Some of us see we are right at it. Some of us may be under it. And so, so let it soak in for a minute as far as how we may be socially and economically classified according to our government. Um, I got rebuked a couple of weeks ago um, by Elder Clifton. And a lot of the men who were there, you probably didn't know it was a rebuke because he did it real smooth how he rebuked his pastor in front of everyone because I said something stupid in front of everyone. Um, but we were getting together ready to watch one of the videos and Somehow we got to talking about um, people on the corner who stand out there with those signs and they flip them and, uh, you know, come to the mattress warehouse and they out there flipping the signs. So I said a joke like, this is why you need to stay in school so that you don't stay out on the corner flipping signs like that. So whenever I would ride by these people, I'm conditioned to think that they are there in that position because they didn't stay in school and so they're taking any job that's handed to them. Well, Clifton, who works with the homeless, who works with low-income families, who works at Sophia's Heart, he said to me in front of everyone, he said, well, pastor, sometimes for the homeless, this is their job, and this is what helps bring them income, and this is what gives them dignity. After my jaw dropped to the floor, I had to pick it up and say, I have to be careful not to judge people, because when you don't know people's story, you and I are prone to judge them, and we don't know what they're going through. And for some people, a job that I look down on, that's a job that they really find accomplishment and purpose in. Because, again, I don't know their story. So I have to learn how not to judge people. You have to learn how not to judge people. But I also want to look at how God sees people through his eyes as best as I can. And in the kingdom of God, God inverts everything. And he has a way of promoting the least of these among us. And so Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 30, he said, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So Jesus had this way. He, he just ministered, and he was anointed to preach the gospel, not to the rich, but to who? the poor. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When Jesus was born, was he born in such a way to identify more with the poor or to identify with the rich? He was born in a stable, in a barn, in a cave, in order to identify with the poor. And when shepherds came who were classified in that day as the poor, the lower rung of society, they were the ones who heralded the Messiah as he came. Again, Jesus was identifying not only with sinners when he was born, but he was also identifying with the poor. 2 Corinthians 8 says that we know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, you don't get any richer than God in eternity and Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. 
Now, that's not talking about name it, claim it, put some money in your pocket, rich. No, that's talking about being blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place through Christ Jesus. Because what good is having money if you don't have Jesus? But when you have Jesus and you don't have money, you're still all right, which leads to the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16 about the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, just one verse from that parable, Luke 16, 25, but Abraham said, son, he's speaking to the rich man, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus likewise evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. So which would you rather be, rich in this life but poor spiritually and bust hell wide open, or saved in this life but poor, die and angels escort you into Abraham's bosom? So Jesus is saying, look beyond the temporal and see the eternal. There are things that are more important in this life than wealth because there's more to this life than this life, and we need to have an eternal perspective and this is why he says it's hard for rich people to be saved because rich people don't feel like they need Jesus. But when you know you don't have anything, oh, my, Jesus is really appealing to you. And at that point, when Jesus becomes your everything, you realize that you've got everything that you need. Jesus dignified this poor man in this parable by giving us his name. We know his name. His name is Lazarus. But he did not give us the name of the rich man. Why did he do that? He's giving preferential treatment to a group of people in society who, who normally gets put down. And so he's giving dignity to the poor by naming the name of Lazarus and allowing this thing to come out on top for Lazarus. Because Lazarus is chilling with Abraham, but the rich man is sweating bullets in the lake of fire. The rich man is in hell and his mindset towards the poor is still the same because he's like, tell Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and come serve me. Abraham, no, no, no. That's how you used to live on the earth, man. No, no, no. As a matter of fact, while you were living on earth, rich man who didn't know Jesus, that was the closest to heaven you'll have experienced. And while Lazarus was on earth poor, that was the closest to hell he'll experience. But when you look at that thing eternally, which one do you want? To be rich in this life and bankrupt towards God and go to hell? Or to be poor and even sick in this life but know God and go to heaven? My God, which one do you want? Jesus is saying, there's an advantage to being poor and in love with God. Mm, mm, mm. All right, rich people, don't throw nothing at me yet. I still got a little way to go. And I'm in this group with you. Luke 14, 21, Jesus tells a parable about a banquet. And he sends the people out to invite folks to the banquet, but they don't want to come. They're too busy. And if you read the parable, they're too busy doing business. They're too busy making money. They don't have time to come to this banquet. So the man throwing the banquet, who was a picture of God, he says, go out and find people who will want to come. Go out into the highways and the hedges, and I'll just read it. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. The wealthy and the healthy don't want to come? Well, go get the sick and the poor. Let them come and eat at my table. The last will be first, and the first are going to be last. There's an advantage to being poor 
James 1, verses 9 through 10. And this is why we got to encourage poor people. Don't you look down on your economic status. You know why? Because you are created in the image of God and you have just as much personhood, value, and purpose as anyone else who has dollars in their pocket. It ain't about what's in your wallet. It's about who's in your heart. And if you got Jesus in your heart, my God. But we don't hear this every day. We don't hear this. But James comes along and he says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. I'm in the book right here. And then he says, but the rich in his humiliation. So there's a contrast and a comparison of verses going on between the lowly brother and the rich or between the rich and the poor. And James says that the poor should glory in his exaltation. Some version says high position. So poor people should see, man, I'm in a high position because I'm loved by God. And can't nobody separate me from the love of God. It's not about material possessions. It's about who possesses me. So I should thank God. I should glory in this high position that the kingdom of God gives me. Remember how Jesus told the religious folk, okay, you don't want to come into the kingdom? I tell you what, the prostitutes are getting in ahead of you. The, the tax collectors are getting in ahead of you. The poor are getting in ahead of you. Mm, 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 mm. Wow. We better watch out as church people. It says, but the rich should glory in their low position. So rich people shouldn't walk around in pride. They should walk around in humility, recognizing that God graced them with possessions, that God graced them with wealth. And it's not something that they should walk around with, with pride, because everything comes from God. And he entrusted wealth to us, not to make us try to find our identity. Our identity ought to be in him. But he gave us resources so that we might distribute those resources in a way that glorify him because none of it is ours. So the kingdom of God is upside down. When you listen to James, he sounds a lot like Jesus. But here's the question. Okay, Pastor, if you're saying poor folk have this high position over rich folk, basically Jesus is saying they have an advantage they have an advantage. Here's the question. How do poor people have an advantage over rich people? <laughs> I mean, that's what the Bible says. The lowly brother, the poor brother should glory in his high position. He has an advantage over the rich brother, especially if the rich brother doesn't have an understanding of humility, a mindset of humility. So how do poor people have an advantage over rich people? James chapter 2, verse 5. James said, listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be what? Rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. Oh, man, I wish I really had time to tear this up. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, God is my provider. But it's another thing to know that God is your provider. And that's where soul music comes from. That's where gospel music comes from. Because people who work in the field knew that God was their deliverer, knew that God was with them, knew that God was their way maker, knew, knew, knew. They knew something about God that came in the furnace of affliction that you can't always get on the mountaintop of ease and success. Don't you learn more about God when you're in a trial than when you come out of a trial? 
No, we learn to pray. We learn to read our Bible. We learn to fast when we're suffering. And for people who grew up in a generational context of suffering, adversity, and poverty, there's something lost in their soul that we don't get when we grow up in the lap of luxury. Don't get mad at me. Just check history and above all, look at the scriptures. And so we see here that poor people are rich in faith. Why? Because when God is all you have, he definitely is all that you need. But for those of us who are wealthy, we got God, but we got other stuff too. But when you don't have other stuff, and I'm speaking in generalities because I can't get too deep right now. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. You know what I'm saying. When all you got is God, man, you have a richness about you that most of us do not have because wealth has a way of kind of pacifying and, and, and causing you not to be hungry for God. Okay, let me make a global comparison before I take my seat. Let's talk about the one-third world, which is the, uh, the Western Hemisphere. We're talking about the United States and Canada, parts of Europe. Um, and then let's talk about the two-thirds world. And we're talking about India and Africa, parts of Asia, into the Middle East. And when we compare how the world is broken up, let's look at this. The one-third world, which is us, we are largely pampered. What has our faith cost us? What has being a Christian really cost us? But in the two-thirds world, they are largely persecuted. We look at CNN, Fox, depending upon your political orientation. You look at the news, BBC, whatever. And you look at people in hostile regions where bombings go off and people are dying. And they just keep on going about business. But we're not used to that kind of environment. Man, we can barely handle when one inch of snow falls in Williamson <laughs> County. We are so soft. We are pampered. But man, when you talk to somebody, man, from the two-thirds world who understands persecution, they've been through it, they've seen people killed in front of them, oh man, th there's a strength that they have. We are monochronic in the one-third world, Americans. Monochronic means that we are given to timeliness, order, and a rigid schedule. Oh, we do one thing at a time in the United States of America. The, the, the clock rules us. Uh, but for the rest of the world, they are polychronic, meaning that they can do multiple things at one time. They are fluid, they are more flexible, and they can change plans. Not here in America. Uh uh, uh it's about time. Uh, church had better start right on time. Do not go over time because I got something to do, something else to do. But in a polychronic culture, my good, let me, let, me, let, me, let me explain it to you this way. After a few trips to Africa and you doing church with African-Americans, let me just explain something to you. Uh, uh, with the American culture, the clock holds the whip and Americans cower at the clock. But in Africa, the Africans hold the whip and the clock cowers to the African. And so it's not about starting on time and ending on time. But in mono, excuse me, in polychronic cultures, in high context culture, it's about the relationship. It's about the experience. So therefore, it may not start on time. And you don't know when it's going to end, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a good time once you're there. <laughs> but here's America. We are so egocentric and arrogant. 
We think the rest of the world is supposed to do it the American way or the white way or do it like us. And when they don't do it the way we do it, we put them down and judge them, not realizing that they live in a different culture. We're not the superior culture. We just happen to be a culture, just like they are a culture. We can learn from them. They can learn from us. And when you try to blend, recognize there's going to be some friction. But man, hey, that's the world we live in today. Because we're individualistic here in America, whereas around the world, they are more collectivistic. Families live together. The Latino culture here in America even, the Native American culture, they're going to put a lot of people in the house. For us, we're trying to get folk out the house as soon as we can get them out the house. <laughs> we're individuals. It's about accomplishment. But for many, it's about family. It's about coming together. When one person has a problem, the whole family has a problem. But for us, when somebody in our family got a problem, uh, how much you need again? What, what's going on? You know, oh, boy. We all have been conditioned. Don't get mad at me. This is where God chose to plant you. You had no say over where you would be born, who you would be born to, what you would be born like, whether you would be born with wealth, with black skin, white skin. He planted you here for the purpose of reaching after him and finding him. And we, he did the same thing. If we believe he's sovereign, with every child he allowed to be born in poverty-stricken Cuba or a child born in uh, 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 communist China, God is sovereign and he plants us where he wants us and he puts us in the families he wants us to be in. So we have to have more of a sovereign view than a humanistic view. Mm-mm-mm. High context people, they value relationships. In Africa, I was blown away. Brandon Dyson, he told me about this before I went to Nigeria he said, you're going to see men walking down the street holding hands. That is not homosexual stuff. In America, that's what you think. But in Africa, that speaks of family bond, community, and commitment, and relationship. It's nothing to see two men, two women holding hands in two-thirds world cultures. And I'm so glad that I got to travel globally because it helps expand your horizons. We tend to be wealthy. They tend to be impoverished. And from a spiritual standpoint, we are disadvantaged. They are advantaged. Why? Because when they pray, they pray. Now, I'm not saying everybody. You got fakes and fronts in every culture, in every brand of Christianity. So I'm not saying that everybody is this way over there or everybody is this way over here. I'm speaking in generalities. But the prayer meetings that I've been to, wow. They don't have time to waste. They go into the presence of God, and they cry out to God. But in our culture, we're individualistic. Again, we're monochronic. We're quiet. We're mm-hmm. But in other parts of the world, their worship is very, very expressive. And sometimes as Americans, we look down on them, and we think that they are not civilized, or something is wrong with them. But they look at us like, what's wrong with y'all? How come you can't move? How come you aren't motivated by the goodness of God? How come you aren't going to the throne of God with boldness? We, we don't, hey, hey. And they pray and they pray. And I get over there and I'm like, I don't have the muscles to run a lap with some of these old ladies over there that have been passing out tracts and uh, sharing the gospel and raising kids. I'm, I'm with them and I'm tired. Like, whoa, we, what we, we going out on the street again tonight? What, you praying tonight? Oh, man, I want to watch my little gadget that I brought from America because I, I got my iPod and I want to watch one of the episodes of Everybody Hates Chris and calm my mind down. What? Oh, prayer time is what time? Oh, my. I said I'm soft. I am just soft. So 
I love traveling globally because it challenges me. I come back from other places around the world and I see the advantage that they have over me from a spiritual standpoint. They've got less than me materially, but man, they seem to have so much more than me. And I envy that faith, but I'm not sure I want to go through what they went through to get that faith and that courage. I'm still American now. I'm still working through this. And so God uses them in the body of Christ to give me something that I don't have, and it's called faith. And I'm used with the resources I have to give them some of the material resources. I got Bibles all over the place. I got money in my pocket. I got shoes. I know wealthy people. I can help distribute resources to them so they get physical and material resources. They give me spiritual resources. And 2 Corinthians says, now there is equality. So that's why we can't go to two-thirds of the world and uh, kind of go in there with this domineering mindset that we are coming to fix you. We are coming to save you. We are coming to help you. We better go in there saying, you've got something for me just as much as I've got something for you. Mine, I can load off a truck, and once you drink that water, it's gone. But once you teach me some things about walking with God, that should stay with me a little bit longer than that bottle of water and that suit that I gave you. My God. Oh, my. Can I tell you real quickly about Nairobi, Kenya? Man, went to Nairobi, Kenya. And I'm seeing these kids in these schools with rags on their back, but they are smiling. Go to the next slide here. They're in their classrooms. There's no air conditioning in there. They don't have individualized desks, but they are so excited to learn. They've got joy in their spirit. Go into Darfur, Sudan, and I meet children there, and I see smiles, and I see hope, and I see encouragement. But when I walk the halls of so many schools in our area, I see kids who feel like you owe me something, and they have attitudes. And now, it's real. We got to deal with it here. But one, one of the things I've learned, man, if you can just expose some children to a global mindset, it might change their mindset. <laughs> Let me come down your street real quick. When you come up in my office, and you and your wife are having these little problems and all this stuff, y'all need to go on a missions trip. You need to take your behind on a missions trip. And you'll come back here thankful for the problems that you have, that you can work out with Jesus, but people over there that don't have half the stuff you got, got Jesus, and they bouncing around with joy, and we choose to be angry. We choose to hold grudges. Man, go on the mission field and see what hurt people really look like and how they can empower you to say, man, we better let that junk go. Shit. Give me one more session. Can I meet with you one more time? Tell me the same thing you've been telling me over and over. Go on the mission field. And if you can't go globally, we got some places right here in Nashville we can take you to to let you see how blessed you are. And he's blessed you to be a blessing, not to be a hoarder. Oh, my goodness. Woo! Man, I went into Darfur, and they knew that we were coming in the name of Strong Tower, and we brought some supplies over from New Hope Academy. So we went to their school. Their school was not in a building. Their school was under a tree. And they carved back the bark on a tree to create a blackboard, and one of the young men wrote a message on the blackboard. Put that picture up. Thank you, New Hope Academy and Strong Tower Bible Church. I said, my God. And they're learning under a tree and they heard about New Hope and Strong. 
I want them praying for us. Lord, let them little children pray for us. We need their prayers. Then in Sudan, we went to worship. And we're worshiping in this church. Now, look, there's no AC in there. Uh, there's no heat. There are no pews in there. They are sitting on tree limbs. And they're in there. And there's no nursery for the kids. And the kids are sitting there at attention, under control, and they are paying attention. And we get up to preach, and they're hanging on every word. I'm preaching with two translators, and a lot of the people don't even have Bibles of their own. But that is just as much a house of God as this is, and maybe more. There's an advantage over there. Stuff doesn't get in the way of their worship of God. Lord Jesus, I come back on fire. Go to the next slide. Went to Kailicha, South Africa. Never saw poverty like that in my entire life. I've been to a lot of places in, the, in America, but it, it was something. Next slide. How people lived in tin cans and on top of one another, yet they would be at church. They would be at Bible study. They'd be at the soccer camp, evangelistic camp for the kids. It was amazing. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to see these precious people. Then going into Nigeria, which happened to be the hardest place I've ever been to in my entire life. You see the children. Those are babies that need to be loved just like our babies need to be loved. They need examples. That's church. They're sitting in that little man turned around when I took the picture. But that's them sitting in church, man, having a good time. Look at the floor. It's a dirt floor. There's no door on the passageway. It's just open. It sits that way. Next slide. I'm with Dr. Garber. You can't see us right there, but, man, we are holding hands. He's introducing me as the American who's coming over, and as we walk to the pulpit, he's holding my hand in traditional Nigerian custom, and they're welcoming me as one of the diaspora Africans that has come back home, and they're giving me honor. They don't even know me, but they're giving me honor because I belong to God, and I'm connected to that man, and they see my black skin, and they just want to honor me. It was so humbling. And when they give you a gift, when they give you something that they made, man. Oh, next slide. That's a church I'm standing I, look, I got a duck to go into the door. I'm like a giant over there. That's church. So, Lord, may we not complain. And by the way, they walk for miles to come to church. So when I talk about spiritual advantage, they are hungry. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because Jesus says they're going to be filled. So I came for the sick, but if you think you're well and you're full, Jesus said, I can't help you. So when you got to walk to church, man, you're coming to get a word. You're coming to worship. You're coming to stay there. And some of us can't even come from Murfreesboro or from Franklin. From Davidson County. Oh, I don't feel like going today. What's the matter? I think I got a stomach ache. <laughs> Tell the truth. You just ain't hungry. Next slide. Jacmel, Haiti. Same thing. Impoverished people. <laughs> so much strength in God, man. Puts me to shame. Those are my brothers I work with, man, to build a house for the kids. Just, man, hanging with cats. They wore the same clothes every day. And I'm trying to give them everything I got before I leave. But in that culture, again, you got to be careful because you don't want to 
try to be the American that's going to fix it because throwing money at stuff doesn't always fix a situation. A lot of times what people need is not more money, but it's more education. And then they have something to educate me about, man. Them cats could work all day, show me how to do stuff. I'm soft. My hands all soft from reading the Bible, you know. I'm over there working with bricks and sand and wheelbarrow. My hands getting all cut up, getting tired. Them brothers just moving, you know. I'm over there. Uh, how much longer? I'm monochronic. Uh, we've been out here all day. When's lunch break? I'm American. Next slide. There's our beloved sister. She and Peter just can't get enough of Haiti. We got so many folk in this church in love with Haiti. God's doing something great, and I love it, man. Amen. That's the kingdom, baby. And I thank God we got the kingdom here. So it's not like God says you can't have the kingdom here, but there's just something when you're in an impoverished place when the love starts flowing. It just doesn't happen the same way here, but we're getting there. Next slide. Ghana, West Africa. Oh, yeah, that girl melted all of our hearts. Uh, next slide. That's my wife with a group of students there. Next slide. Church in Ghana, West Africa. Now, the thing that kind of disappointed me when I went to Ghana, Steve and Debbie French know this because they feel the same way, uh, went over Sweetwater Ministries to serve and bless and all that stuff. I couldn't wait to go to church in Africa because I'm like, yeah, man, I've been to church in the bush. Now I want to go to church in uh, Ghana. So, man, let's go to church. I went up in there, and their church was a lot like American church. Now, you won't see cats wearing them robes up in here like we do with the chest hanging out. But that cat was in there. But, man, they, it was more so Americanized. They were singing songs like this. And I said, I didn't travel all this way for y'all to sound like some Methodist cathedral Baptist church down the street. I want some drums. I want some dancing. I want some shouting. I come here and get some American brand because they feel like they've got to acclimate to the American culture to be like us and sometimes to get money. And our missionaries go in and a lot of times our missionaries, rather than respecting the culture that's there, they try to conform them to American culture because we think American culture is superior culture. So be like us rather than us learning how God gave it to you. Oh man, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand it. And just let me stop right here. Where's Charles Robinson? Is he here today? Man, I saw last week that he said that there were some private schools in the area that wouldn't accept Dante, his son, because he had long hair. What a crock. What a shame that, again, American culture, I'm going to say it, white dominant European culture thinking that it's right and that it knows everything telling that boy he needs to cut his hair to be accepted in this school and forget his native culture in this wonderful southern bible belt Christian community you got to be kidding me but thank God for FCA, Franklin Christian Academy. Hugh and Lisa said come on in here we'll take him we'll take you we'll take you come on in here Man, that makes me hot. And we need more white folks saying stuff about it. They expect me to say it. They expect Charles to say it. But over here, we don't have as much authority and power as my white brothers and sisters say it. So when you start saying stuff, they might listen a little bit more than if I say it because I'm just an angry black man. But man, if somebody else would say something. Man, we at Liberty University. 
and they telling us we got to cut our hair and all this stuff. We're like, cut the hair, can't be over the ear. Black people don't know nothing about that. And then, you know, I'm like, did Jesus have a haircut where you couldn't come down over the ear? Well, if you got an American westernized Jesus, then your Jesus got a butchy boy haircut too. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. I just... <laughs> Thank God in conclusion... The Bible teaches that the poor have an exalted position and advantage over the rich. Therefore, it's time to stop looking down on the poor and start looking up to them and seeing them the way God sees them as first and not last. So God is not telling anyone with wealth to feel guilty about having it. Don't you dare go out here and say, Pastor was saying, mm-mm. No, 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 no. God is not telling anyone with wealth, that's me included, to feel guilty about having it. But he is commanding everyone with wealth to be responsible with it and to be generous with it. That's the gospel. That's the Bible. I am done preaching. You can fire me if you want, but God still got me on his payroll. He'll take care of me. Man... We need more preachers to tell the truth. Stop trying to build big churches and cathedrals and don't want to offend anybody. Man, that's what got Jesus crucified. He preached the truth, and them religious rich folk couldn't handle it. But the poor folks are like, he's saying it, ain't he? Go, he's saying he's preaching, ain't he? Jesus said, when a rich man, or James said, he said, uh, uh, in your congregation, when a wealthy guy walks in and he's got on fine apparel and rings and gold, and y'all say, here, take this good seat up front. But you say to the poor guy in your church, man, sit up under my feet or go to the back. James says, have you not shown partiality and have become an evil judge? You tell that rich dude, man, sit up in the back somewhere. Man, sit at my feet. Give honor to the poor. You come on up and sit. A lot of preachers ain't going to do that because they want the rich folk to stay up in their church. But I got a feeling when you take care of the poor, God will take care of you. Because God says when you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. Why do you think New Hope Academy is still open with the kind of philosophical structure it has? You were meant to fail by that paradigm because you're not accepting a whole bunch of wealthy people to come in who can pay, but you are being intentional to include those who can't pay. And God says, I always got your back. That money might come in. You may need it at midnight. It's coming at 11.59. A bird got that check in his mouth, but God said, I'm going to take care of you. And dig it, you got stories where you can tell of how he miraculously provided. You've learned some things because you're kind of a poor school in the midst of all of the uh, traditional uh, private schools and Christian schools. New Hope is the poster child of the poor school, but you've got a faith and a strength in you. You know some. You don't just get on the phone and make a few phone calls to some rich donors who can send some money in. you got to get on your knees and start saying, God, if you don't come through, ain't nothing going to happen around here. And you see him come through. And who gets the glory? Not the rich donor, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, I'm done. I'm done. I gave y'all some polychronic culture today. 
because we keep going over time. We supposed to end at noon. But, but I guess it's the African in me. I just can't let it go when it get on me. I can't let it go. <laughs> so white folk, you got to count the cost when you come here. I don't know. Man, I see folk getting up right at 11.59. Oh, got to go, you know. And I hardly ever see black people doing that. Black people, we know, we, we in church till it finish. How long that lady going to sing that song? She been singing that song. We ready to go. Because black folk reach that limit too. You know, like, oh, we got to go. Oh, man, John, what's left? I don't even know. Everybody, let's stand to our feet, man. No, 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 sit down, sit down, sit down. Unfort well, bless the Lord. We're going to welcome some new members into this crazy church. Are you ready? <laughs> we told them in the back, it's too late. You cannot renege on your membership now. So when I call your name, everybody get ready. This is our final thing, and we'll let you go. I'm going to call them, and you give them a round of applause. They're going to come and stand across the front. And then we're going to lay hands on them, and we'll dismiss the church. Amen? Amen? All right, here we go. Number one, and, and, and platform like you really like this church, okay? And you happy for that. Chris and Libby Cron. Tracy and Robin Floyd, come on down. Glory to God. Amen. Welcome to Strong Tower Bible Church. Brothers and sisters, put your hands together for Mr. Bernard and Sister Megan Pollard. Come on down, come on down, come on down. Glory to God, glory to God. And all the way from Memphis, Tennessee, Dominic and Erica Riley. Come on up here, come on up here. And all the way from South America, Brother Edmund Portillo. Come on down! Woo! These are the latest members of Strong Tower Bible Church. Amen. Remain standing, elders. Come on up, wives. Come lay a hand on these people of God. Cover them. Cover them. Let's touch them and agree for this moment. Amen. Going up to the school this Thursday, there's a young man named Gary. In the eighth grade, the principal is saying he may not pass because he's not applying himself. And he's a leader, but he comes from a tough background. And God allowed me to spend a couple of hours with him, and I'm trying to get in. You pray for Gary. You pray for Gary this week. We got work to do in this community. We got work to do around the world. We got work to do in this church. And God has just added to our church as he so desires. Let's pray. Father, we dedicate these men and women and these children to you. 
Lord, may we be an instrument fit for your use and your purpose. May you be pleased to dwell in this house and use us from this house in our respective professions, in our homes, in our communities to make a difference for the name of Jesus and make his name renowned. God, we are not ashamed of your gospel, for it is the good news. It is the power unto salvation. Would you equip, empower, and encourage, and protect, and cover every family that's represented here today? Give them the desires of their heart. Bless them in their going out and bless them in their coming in. Bless them to be a blessing. Thank you for them. And we commit them to this church in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. You are dismissed. Come put a hug on them and bless them.
before you go too far. Too far. 